Welcome, welcome to another episode of Linen Suit and Plastic Tie. I'm Gorev. And I'm Kevin. Hey, Kev, you want to hear a fun fact? Sure. Did you know that the Michelin star rating system that uh, that rates the best restaurants in the world was started by Michelin Tire Company because they were trying to get people to use their cars more, drive more, and use tires more? Well, it's an such an interesting advertising story. And this week, we have Senior Director of Global Creative Strategy at Snap. Yeah, we are so glad to have Mr. Jeff Miller with us today. But before we get into that, why don't we talk a little bit about our learnings this week? For me, something I noticed was one of the biggest reasons that the water was a, such a big issue for us, drinking water, making sounds, uh, me moving around, fidgeting, is because I'm a person who moves a lot when I talk, and it's a lot of nervous energy. But because we're doing a podcast and because we're using microphones, that stuff gets picked up when I uh, fiddle with something or when I pour my water bottle. So something I've been starting doing is I'm taking notes while the speaker is talking. This way, I have someone to put my nervous energy, and it also helps me formulate questions and formulate insights and learning because I'm actively listening and taking notes, and it keeps me engaged. So that's something I've changed since last week to become a better podcast podcast host. What about you, Kev? For me, I found myself listening with closer attention to what I guess is saying. And it's gradually getting better as we get more episodes in.、Um, I used to really worry about what I'm going to say next,、um, but now I am trying to suspend my own thoughts and really listen to what the other person is saying, and then raise question according to、uh, the insights that our guests are sharing. Also, Kev. We're starting something we've been doing this week is we've been setting up all our social medias and creating all our accounts and trying to build our impact outside of just the podcast and create content other places. But something we realized as podcast hosts, we're supposed to be doing call to actions. So subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at @nsptpod. And please subscribe to Linen Suit and Plastic Tie on all audio platforms. So now that we're done with our shameless plug, why don't we get into the main attraction? To start us off, Jeff,、uh, what is your story? Sure. So I am、uh, the global creative head of creative strategy at Snap Inc.、Uh, but before that, I've had a long, windy road through the advertising and marketing space. I started out in New York at one of the biggest ad agencies in the world, Ogilvy and Mather. Cut my teeth there、uh, while I was making peanuts,、uh, and I was living with three other die-hard, passionate advertising creatives、uh, up in Harlem in New York City, having an amazing experience living the life of a, a young advertising pup, really trying to learn the ropes. For me, it was a great way to like really,、uh, really get great understanding of the advertising agency model of brand marketing, and that's ultimately what inspired me to go back to business school. Uh, where I went to Guayasueta and focused on on marketing and and corporate finance, and my intent was to make that transition over to a degree where I could focus on the client side. And so I spent six years coming out of business school at PepsiCo, working in the classical brand management role at Tropicana, and then a couple of years at Gatorade, a brand that I was deeply passionate about. I love sports,、uh, where I had the opportunity to be the digital director 
of, of strategy there. So for me, a really great opportunity switching from agency side to, to client side. And that ultimately is what opened up the doors for me to gain platform side experience. Uh, now it's Snap, loving it ever since. No, it's really interesting. So you've been in advertising your whole career. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how different technologies and different platforms has changed the game since you started? Yeah, absolutely. I, we, I won't count my few years working as a, as a cashier at Taco Bell. Uh, I don't know if that's technically advertising, but uh, I will tell you this. Uh, those, those years uh, when I was in college uh, certainly gave me great understanding of customers and of how to, to treat others with respect uh, as I was there and, and talk about how to roll up your sleeves and do the dirty work. Uh, but that experience aside, what I can tell you to your question is my career, although always in advertising, it has felt like four different careers because of the rate of speed of technology and of platforms and of media, how people consume media, how media is distributed. And if you think about when I started at Ogilvy in 2005, so much of my work was focused on print advertising. And we were doing $400,000 print shoots for one print ad. And it was, everything had to be perfect for this big ad that would appear in Vanity Fair or in Vogue or in, in uh, business, business uh, Bloomberg Business. And it was like all focused on on a traditional format or a big TV commercial, you spend months and months waiting to, to develop from script to concept to storyboard, testing with consumers to putting it out in the world. And that model was how agencies made all of their money. It's I'm, I'm thinking about uh, becoming agencies of record and building out billable hours and timesheets and massive scopes of work and margins that come with it. And to me, that model of advertising is certainly still of the present but one that is not of the future. And by that, I mean, there's always gonna be the need for incredible strategic planners and creative thinkers and account people that can add value to clients, but it's gotta orient around where platforms exist and where people spend their time. And obviously the value of 30 second TV spots in, in traditional broadcast networks is just not what it was 15 years ago. And people are spending their time on Snap and on TikTok and and online and, and looking for content that really speaks to them authentically in, in those formats. And so it's been really amazing to be a part of that transition over the last 15 years. I think more has happened in the last 15 years in the past 100 years combined in advertising. And those that figure it out who find a way to adapt are gonna be successful. And those that are stuck in their ways of, of old formats, I think are gonna find it hard to compete. So you talked a little bit about kind of the changing landscape and of how storytelling through advertisements has been changing. And you mentioned a little bit about nativity, like being native within an app or native within a story. Can you tell us a little bit about why building native stories in advertising has kind of resonated so much with consumers on mobile? Well, I mean, I think it goes back to any other format is that if you're able to really understand the language of, of the platform, of the media vehicle, it's inherently and intuitively just going to feel more natural. It's going to resonate more. And I don't think that's me saying anything revelatory. I think that's just human behavior that if you're going to see a, a print ad that feels built for that, the context of what that, that magazine's about, a Gatorade ad in Sports Illustrated, it's probably going to resonate a lot more than a Gatorade ad in, in Vogue. Uh, and in the same context, like as you're thinking about building for specific platforms, 
shooting ads on your mobile device is going to feel more intuitive for Snap and TikTok than if you're going to do something highly produced, like it's built for cinemas or built for live broadcast TV. And so it's not to say we can't adapt TV commercials for Snap. We do that all the time. And what we do is we frame it center cut. We frame it for vertical. We think about timing. We think about the placement, the audience, to make sure that the brand is really clearly present. Uh, it's just to say that right now, you, you frankly, it's not about throwing the most money against ads that's going to get you output. And I think that's a, the old world mentality. It's like, well, if I spend more money on this, this commercial, if I spend more money on this print ad with a really famous photographer, then I'm going to get that credit from the consumer that they're going to know I spent more money and they're going to get that equal amount of value back in terms of what they then go and do in terms of my goal from a marketing standpoint. And that's just not true anymore. The reality is like you look at, at experiences like what happened organically with Ocean Spray and, and TikTok, there's no, there's no way that the Ocean Spray marketers could have ever planned for something like that. And no matter what they would have spent on it, it really wouldn't matter. They captured lightning in a bottle and it was something that was organic and frankly, it didn't cost anything for them and, and it didn't really cost anything for the creator who made it. And ultimately, how they responded in a way that was really thoughtful and they, they bought a car, filled it up with ocean spray and gave it to the guy, continued the story, engaged Fleetwood Mac. Like that's what's really amazing to see, regardless of platform, is to see these things that happen organically. They feel good. There's something that's been built for the platform and you see that type of thing resonates a lot more than something that feels uh, more forced. Especially when we're dealing with commercials that you nowadays have to kind of engage with the user within seconds. How do you tell a complete and holistic advertising story when you have to show your brand within seconds? Well, in my opinion, it's you take a step back. You're not trying to do too many things with one impression. Instead, you're thinking about what is a strategy of what I'm trying to convey. And ultimately, when you think about it from a marketer's mindset, uh, they're not only trying to do tell compelling stories that, that builds brand awareness and affinity and consideration, they're also trying to drive sales and show that every marketing dollar that they spend is driving impact and value back for the brand. And that, that impact can be around equity for the brand, or it can be about driving efficacy or driving uh, direct return on ad spend. And the reality for marketers is like, if you try to achieve all of those things in one ad, uh, you're gonna fail. And so if you're, if you're trying to tell a story driven campaign, but you're also like, oh man, I've gotta make sure that people know if this is my brand and I'm gonna create a snap ad, for example, that shows the logo in the first two seconds. And then I also wanna see like, did the story come through? Did people stick around to the end? Like you're trying to achieve too much at one time. Instead what I would say is like, what is your holistic platform strategy? Like, what is it that you want to convey at the top or the middle of the funnel that is your main message? How do you do it in a way that really understands the formats natively that really resonate with the community on that given platform? So Snap could be around how you use our, our better reality tools. How do you think about a, a new ad format like First Commercial where you're able to get a, a really clear message out to as many people as possible at one time in, in uh, four, six uh, ad format from video standpoint. How do you do that initially and then think about uh, bringing people along with something like a story ad that gives people the ability to consume a little bit more in, in, with, across multiple snaps. And then when it comes down to actually paying it off in terms of, of the bottom of the funnel, use really efficient media through snap. It's, it's snap ads, the video ads with goal-based bids that are talking towards conversion and actually thinking about it in a way that those snap ads are much more of what you describe of showing the brand, the product 
or making sure the brand is really clear or focusing on a functional uh, benefit from that brand and encouraging people in a really clear way to swipe off the ticket action. Holistically, when you take a step back, there's a story there. You can really engage them, bring them into a narrative, and then ultimately show the role of the product and the brand that it serves to the consumer in that context and how it will add value to their life. Uh, but it's not expecting any one ad or any one impression to do all of those things at one time. So simplicity, getting to the core of the message is so important when doing a short form. Yeah, simplicity and restraint. I think one of the biggest mistakes marketers make is that to try to do all things at once. And I think it's okay to say for a specific brief, this brief is about driving the top of the funnel. This brief is about telling a damn good story and to do it in a way that's really gonna resonate. Let's align our, our creative, let's align the way we tap into different ad formats and platforms, let's align our media distribution strategy against that goal. Is this story being processed? Is it being attributed back to us? Is it resonating with our core consumer? We're not worried about ad sales in this standpoint or, or the context of, um, of how it's driving the bottom of the funnel or how it's driving uh, ultimately return on ad spend in the context of, of actual dollars back to the company. That's not what this element of the campaign is about. That may not be what the campaign is about holistically, but guess what? That brand building initiative is gonna be complemented by a volume driving campaign that's always on that is gonna be about hard working, efficient media. That every dollar I put in, I wanna see four, five, ten dollars out in return on ad spend. That's as neat to me when I put on my marketing hat uh, when I was at PepsiCo. That's how you gain credibility. I was able to say 80% of my dollars are going to go to volume driving, hard working media that I will prove to you for every dollar you give me, I will turn it into $5 of top line revenue for this business. The other 20%, I'm going to be focused on building equity for the brand. Really thinking about how do we gain loyalty with our core target? How do we build a brand that has a moat relative to the competitive set? So that we are ensuring that we're building this this uh, this really engaged base that we can continue to foster for years to come. You talked about the importance of um, efficient uh, and engaging media, and you also touched upon how Snap has been uh, such a platform uh, of uh, efficient advertising and something uh, I think Snap has popularized that people often take for granted is. Uh, the AR technology, augmented reality, which you have been working on uh, yourself. So, uh, for our listeners, uh, can you uh, can you introduce uh, kind of what AR is and how is AR changing the way we tell stories? Sure. So, augmented reality is ultimately, to me, transformative in the context of of our platform uh, because it's enabled directly by a smartphone and three five years ago uh if you think about global penetration like we've just started to hit the tipping point uh from the penetration of smartphone devices themselves across the globe to the processing power within the phones themselves to the data connectivity of, of 4g and that enabled us to have this, this technology that was mirrored with a platform that opened directly to the camera and so those two things in concert have essentially created this, this opportunity to have this globally engaged community that when they open up Snapchat, they have this trained behavior to start to play with AR without even really thinking about it. So AR ultimately is exactly what it sounds like. You're augmenting your, your face, you're augmenting the world around you with this layer of, of a computing platform, which could come to life in really playful ways, a, a dancing hot dog or, or bunny ears. 
uh, but it also be a really powerful tool. We believe at Snap that the camera is intelligent. It's more than just taking photos, uh, but that intelligence can manifest with uh, thinking about how you can use AR to uh, not only become a movie character like Venom, uh, but to also try on the latest pair of Jordan shoes before you buy them, especially relevant in the context of COVID, or try on the, the latest uh, version of L'Oreal makeup and be able to try the different shades and then directly purchase it directly from your phone. All of those things add value. And I think that's the biggest thing with AR for us is it's twofold. It's one is developing a community and a behavior within that community that really delineates Snap AR from anywhere else. I think it's more about that community behavior than it is frankly about the technology. The fact that we have 70% roughly of our audience engaging with AR every single day. What other platform in the world could say that? I mean, it's, it's crazy to think. I mean, you have a platform of 249 million people that are daily active users. And then 70% of that roughly is using AR every, every day. It's just amazing to think about the power of that community. And then you layer on top of that, going from just funny, playful experiences, like which we all know and love, like the anime lens, uh, to thinking about how brands can have clear value and not only announcing uh, new campaigns, but bringing Snapchatters into the world around them, entering into a retail store, uh, trying on a new product, uh, actually thinking and interacting with characters or, or relevant spokespeople for that brand. All of those are different ways in that take AR from a toy to a tool. You know, that idea of taking from toy to tool is something so interesting and I'm fascinated by it. For AR, um, kind of leading into that kind of tool mindset and what are the main ways you see monetization of AR coming from? So if you think about AR uh, from the past, uh, my first experience working with it when I was at Gatorade was the Super Bowl dunk. And for those of you that know the brand, uh, we have 15 seconds a year that we are the most relevant brand in the entire world. Everyone after the Super Bowl is looking to see the coach get dunked by Gatorade. They want to see that moment and just smile and see if they're going to get a clean shot, if they're going to surprise the coach. They also want to see what color the Gatorade is. And our past philosophy had been never mess with that moment. It's pure gold. It's organic. Like anything you do as a marketer, is just going to screw it up. And when uh, I was there with our, our agencies, with our now CMO at, at, at Snap, Ken Mitchell, we challenged that preconception. So like, actually, man, what a moment to actually give our community, our core audience, an opportunity to engage and feel like they're a part of this. And so at that time, it was about the context of the moment. On the day of the Super Bowl, we actually gave people the opportunity to get dumped with Gatorade. And it was such a big moment for us at, as a brand because it made us rethink our control of the brand and being willing to give up control to a community. And it was really powerful in terms of our market philosophy moving forward. The engagement was insane. We had 164 million engagements in under two days. And to give some context, only 114 million households watched the Super Bowl that year. And so we realized we'd captured lightning in a bottle. And I, I think there was a lot of positives that came from that in terms of our approach. But to the root of your question, it was also incredibly hard. At that time, as we think about monetization, it was hard to create. It took eight weeks. We had to work with the development team in Ukraine across multiple time zones. There was a lot lost in translation. It was the tech was still kind of catching up. And it was kind of scary knowing our commitment to this event uh, that it was like really just like pulling it through 
by uh, the nose, uh, like by, by hair, by just making sure at the very last second, everything looked right, it was released right, it was, it was delivered in a way that we felt proud of as a brand. And if you look at it now, four and a half years later, the entire world has changed in terms of AR monetization. Back then, we didn't even have targeting. You had to buy it on a national basis. It was 750K in the US. Now you can buy into AR and SAP for $5. You had uh, the ability to target anyone you could possibly want on SNAP from a geography standpoint, a demo standpoint, an interest standpoint, from a creation standpoint. You don't have to work with a SNAP internal lens team. And so to me, as you think about monetization, if we're really going to be serious about AR, SNAP, or the ad world in general, you have to be able to make this a fully functioning format like video or print or radio. You have to be able to do it in a way where it's easy to use, it's easy to understand, it's easy to build against, and it's easy to measure. And that to me has been the mature, the, the maturation of AR on Snap in the story. And if you really think about the potential of that as a platform, you, you marry that deep engagement with our community with a really high power, high functioning ad format that proves out strong results, that shows the potential for AR in terms of growth on Snap and beyond. Yeah. You know, you talked a lot about uh, consumer behavior and different behaviors and uh, from different behaviors with people playing with a lens that's also an advertisement from different behaviors in different markets. So when creating kind of cultural stories that are going to be less click this to buy this, but more making an impact, how do you build that empathy with the consumer? How do you understand the consumers you're targeting? In? Well, I think first, you, the best way to do it is a, to build a team that's reflective of those consumers. And so a couple of things uh, popped to mind for me. We had a recent campaign called Raise Your Voice, which was here in the States. That was a commemoration of the 1963 March on Washington. And this was uh, in August, about two months after uh, the murder of George Floyd and after the, the great sense of urgency that again rose in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement. And so we had uh, a group of black creators on our team say, we want to drive impact and we want to uh, use Snapchat as a platform to connect with the black community in a way that feels meaningful. And frankly speaking, if we didn't have that, that representation within our team, I don't think we'd have a right to do it. Like we would have a right to be able to empathize or to connect in a way that felt authentic. I uh, would have felt, I would have felt uh, either manipulative or superficial. And so by my job at that point was just to empower them, to give them the tools to be successful, to help break down barriers, uh, internal and external, to give them a forum, uh, to give them advice on how to make uh, their campaign, their ideas more resonant in terms of uh, not so much the black community, but what I know works well within Snapchat overall and the Snapchat consumer behavior and Snapchat user experience. And so to me is seeing a campaign like that come to life where uh, we know that there's this great moment uh, where Martin Luther King did the I Have a Dream speech where John Lewis spoke and, and this is in the wake of John Lewis's passing, uh, and especially in the pressure cooker and the environment that we were in, to be able to connect with this audience uh, in a really in, in, in authentic way. It was really inspiring to see what they came up with. And, and ultimately what we delivered as a team was uh, we knew that there was going to be this heart, whether it was physically marching in Washington or virtually marching in, in collaboration with NAACP, uh, that there was this real uh, anticipation for this moment and desire to, to really make people's voices heard. Uh, and at the same time, a real public health need to protect people from a pandemic. And the best way to do that is to wear a mask. 
And so there was a sense of irony of the fact that you had to be wearing a mask uh, while you wanted your voice heard the most. And so what the team came up with in this Raise Your Voice campaign was to connect with six black creatives and to give them the forum to essentially design their own AR masks that the entire community on Snapchat in the States could wear on the August 28th, the date of the original March. And those masks would have uh, perspectives from those black community members, those black artists. Uh, one was around solidarity. One said, now, now's the time. One said explicitly, black lives matter. And these messages really are resonating. Together we stand. And giving them the ability to have a forum to be able to still march, whether in physical or in virtual form, to commemorate uh, the importance of the original march and to do it on the SNAP community uh, platform in such, a, in such a clear way was really inspiring for me to be a small part of. And you connect that even further with what SNAP is, is matured into from the AR platform with commerce. People were not only able to wear the AR mask, but you were able to, to tap one, uh, one click on the screen and you were dropped into a Shopify store where you can buy a physical version of those iconic masks that were designed by these artists. And all of the profits from those masks go directly to uh, Partner Foundation, the Rebuild Foundation in Chicago, which is focused on fueling future young black artists. And so that notion of this full circle, that to me is what a present day story looks like. You think about the culture of the moment, you find creators that are gonna be authentically able to connect with the community they're trying to, to reach. You give uh, them the forum to do so, the, the, the sandbox to play in, break down barriers all along the way, and then find a way to actually make it something that resonates with the community in a way that feels real and doesn't feel like it's opportunistic. To bring an end to our episode, we have this segment called Suspenders. Yeah, so our question today, if you were to create a billboard about yourself that thousands would see, or on your scale that millions would see, what would it say or illustrate? Well, to me, I always put this rule, I tell team people on my team, uh, that old Ogilvy rule, the billboard should never have more than seven words. Uh, and I think that's a real important life lesson. Also a great lesson for any uh, any PowerPoint or keynote slides you're putting forward. Like if people wanna see you and hear your story and you have to be able to communicate it succinctly. Uh, so for me, I would keep mine short and sweet and that would be a simple phrase. I'd say humble and curious. This is the part of the episode where we dissect and digest the conversation we just had with our guests. Yeah, so why don't we jump right into our takeaways? What did you take away from this conversation, Kwok? Well, Kev, I think the idea that all great tools start as toys. And it's a concept I've heard before, but it's so important in story time as well because as society grows, there's brand new ways to tell stories, whether it's been social media, whether it's been television, or even back in the day when books started, back in the back and back in the day when books started. Um, these were all brand new mediums to tell stories in different ways. And the idea that these all started as like little toys and um, they started something niche is such an important concept because as new mediums inevitably develop in in our careers, in our life, it's important to approach them and see how they can enhance our storytelling 
and him talking about how he uses AR, not as a, not just because it's a new hip thing, but because he's watched it, he's tracked it, and he's seen the ways that AI can be used to tell an effective story and an important story. That is just so important. Something else that I've taken away、uh, that I think can be applied to storytelling in a more general way is that we need to have a clear goal and then some restraint when we're telling a story within a limited time frame. That's because we sometimes we need to grab our audience's attention within seconds. That is when we have to hold back and review our goal, and then find out what's the most important thing we want to deliver at first hand. And you know, something else he talked about that was, I think, probably the most important learning to me was. The idea of highlighting and amplifying people's voices to tell authentic stories. He he's worked on so many like cultural stories. He has to be able to tell stories that empathize those consumers, and the importance of not trying to tell their story, but instead amplify their voice so they can tell their story is such a key difference because that's the way you get authentic stories. You're never going to be able to tell someone else's story, but being able to give them the platform, the tools, the technology, and helping them tell their own story is such an important idea and learning that Jeff talks about in his work. Yes. So today we've added another great perspective to Lenin Suit and Plastic Tie. This has been another episode of Lenin Suit and Plastic Tie. I'm Gorf. I'm Kevin. And we'll see you next week. Thank、you